I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to a week two edition of Rams All Access with DeMarco Farr. I'm J.B. Long. The 1-0 Los Angeles Rams are off to Lucas Oil Stadium to take on the 0-1 Indianapolis Colts and DeMarco as we reflect back on that uh, winning victorious opening night at SoFi Stadium I can't help but feel like it's more than one win why does it feel that way why did that feel like more than just one and oh because I, I I think I can answer that JB I think that might have been one of the more fun games we've called you know what I mean I mean think about what the offense was last year and how it's been a struggle and to see it just when Matthew Stafford airing it out that that was a whole lot of fun but yeah, it, it kind of validated a, a lot of the offseason. And uh, just to see that crowd, you know, number one, being in the stadium, and number two, being entertained by what they saw, yeah, it just it's still euphoric. But you got to put it away because Indy is coming off a loss. No question. But how does Matthew Stafford's debut performance impact your thinking about what's possible for these 2021 ranks? Well, uh, I guess I owe Peter King an apology. I said he was crazy to for think the Super Bowl pick. No, for the six thousand yards that oh, Matthew gotcha. Stafford could possibly throw for. Well, I mean, look, it is possible, especially if you're getting looks like Chicago threw at you, and your receivers are doing what they're supposed to do, and your offensive line can do as good of a job as they did versus the Bears, keeping pressure off of Matthew Stafford. If that guy is allowed to survey the field, you got problems as a defense. So, yeah, six thousand is entirely possible if you look like that week in and week out. Okay, quick tangent here. This reminds me of something that's been on my mind as we go into a 17-game slate, which is forevermore, stats need to have a denominator. Okay. You mean 17 weeks? Yes. Oh, okay. Things need to be on a per-pass basis, on a per-game basis, because you can't compare Matthew Stafford in this era playing 17 to anything that predates it. Gross numbers. Well, yeah, I mean, just tack on an extra game of whatever the average was of whatever great quarterback and then average it out. But, you know, look, week in and week out, we'll say this. If Sean McVay has his way with the defense and you get two-score leads on just about anybody, then he can do whatever he wants mm. with you, against you, and... I mean, this is not a quarterback that's looking to find accuracy, you know, into the third quarter. This guy is hot from day one, game one, snap one. This this is going to be a fun watch with Matthew Stafford, at quarterback. I've heard since Sunday night that the game was at once closer than the final score may have indicated, but also that the margin was representative of how thoroughly the Rams were in game control, that they never trailed while it got down to a one-possession game. They finished it off. They put it out of reach in pretty short order. How did you feel about it? Same. I mean, you, you we've been through these games, and we've talked about it during the break where you have a lead, but we're nervous. Yeah, It's scary. It is an unsettling way to go through a three-hour experience it's like a horror movie right you got that feel that feeling in the pit of your stomach when justin fields put it in and cut it to six you got a little nervous but then the rams killed it fast and scored and extended the lead took momentum away i mean that was cool it was a wire-to-wire -wire win for the rams it was a great feeling to leave that stadium with that feeling 
Yeah, because McVay's only disappointment, I think, on offense is that they didn't get enough plays off, that they didn't throttle them as thoroughly as they could have because they were scoring on the third play of an opening drive, for instance. And so the balance of that means that Chicago has the preponderance of time of possession. The defense for Raheem Morris actually made Chicago string together 8, 10, 12 play drives to get to where they were trying to go. And ideally, you would not let them into the end zone a couple of times. But I I think in terms of the schematic, the design, the intention, that's a good formula. Yeah. Where you're explosive, you're getting chunk plays, you're being very efficient, and you're testing the opposing quarterback and play caller to be patient, to be steady, to not commit turnovers, to not let the clock run out on them with Aaron Donald hunting you. No doubt. And, uh, you know, let me give offer Matt Nagy some support. Uh, y- you can blame him if you want to, but also blame Andy Dalton. I'm sure the play was called to throw a third and seven behind the line of scrimmage and expect your running back to pick it up. Mm. But... You don't have to throw it there if you're Andy Dalton. You can challenge the defense. But Raheem Morris, okay, I get it. Okay, you've got Aaron Donald. Let him eat to do what he does best and feature Jalen Ramsey. Feature him. Move him around. Put him in situations where he can attack the line of scrimmage. Wow, that was amazing to watch. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, at some point you're going to be stretched farther than what Chicago gave you, and then we'll see. But as far as what Chicago came into the to L.A. with, their game plan, yeah, the Rams' defense absolutely took that apart. He's DeMarco Farr. I'm J.B. Long. The Rams are going to Indianapolis in the early window this Sunday for a Week 2 contest, looking to get to 2-0, and looking to spill the Colts to 0-2. When I asked DeMarco Farr who impressed him most besides Matthew Stafford, but before we leave the new Rams quarterback behind us, let's get his reaction to the debut that was and what he feels like he can do better moving forward. Kind of hard to, to articulate it. There were just some some plays in the game that uh, you know I wish I was a little bit better on, wish I was a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, maybe a little bit calmer in the pocket on a few where I could have just kept progressing and getting to getting to a different guy and just finding the completion. You know, I think uh, there were a couple that didn't get completed that I think I could have, um, you know, and obviously continue to just try and hit the open guys when they're open. No question the deep shots to Van Jefferson and Cooper Cup stood out to me, but the third touchdown to Robert Woods is the one that shows me the difference. Just the way that in a tight red zone situation – with Khalil Mack bearing down, he's able to subtly climb that pocket, attack the line of scrimmage and the goal line, but also be quick enough with his release to put a ball in a spot where only Robert Woods can get it and with no risk for a strip sack at the goal line. Like, again, nothing against his predecessor who did a lot of really good things here, but that was a stark contrast to me. Oh, I'm with you. Yeah, if you're San Francisco, Seattle, Arizona, you might as well throw away all your notes on defending the Rams in the red zone. It's a little bit different with this guy. Uh, remember in training camp, uh, same thing, red zone, he threw the no-look pass for a touchdown. Yep. It was like the first day. So it's going to be special like that. That's the little added things that you didn't see out of Jared Goff, just to be honest. So uh, this will change things. Um so, you know, look, I thought the most impressive thing, and I have to give Kevin Carberry a lot of credit because... Offensive line coach. Offensive line coach, because that was a big concern. But watching that offensive line act as one unit, and I love the way this offensive line is constructed. Your senior man is the left tackle. He's the leader. He should be. The left tackle should be the leader of the group. And your center is a young, slightly unhinged guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? That makes all the right calls. So... Watching what Chicago tried to give to, to to fool the offensive line to get guys free on Matt Stafford, they could not do it. The the communication was great up front. Uh, when there was an override by Matt Stafford, not too many, they shifted out, picked up the right guys, boom, they got the ball out. That's perfect 
football, even if you don't complete the pass. That is perfect. When they send six, six guys block, quarterback gets ball off, that's good. Hmm. What do you make of the fact that Daryl Henderson ran the second highest rate of routes of any back in the league? I have a thought on this, but when I tell you that he was running routes maybe more than staying into pass pro what conclusions are you drawing from that i okay i I love sean mcveigh because we're wearing the same uniform i i would hate him if i'm on the other side because he forces you as a defense to play everything there's nothing you can hang your hat on this week we have the rams and all they do is run or this week we have the rams again all they do is spread you out and throw you have to prepare for every single thing in football mm-hmm. to Sean McVay, and he'll get to it from about three or four different personnel groups with motion. You know what I mean? Yep. So it's it's a nightmare to have to defend against. So I'm reading tea leaves, and I think the implication is I now have a quarterback behind a cohesive offensive line that I can trust. We can max protect if we want to. Oh, we can play going. drop back football, but I got a guy back there who can read and react, who's seen it all, and so I don't necessarily have to keep my back in. I can release him. I can split him out. I can dictate to you rather than feeling dictated to. That's a nightmare. That's scary on the other side. I'm telling you. Really, there's almost nothing you can do when you have that. And also Daryl Henderson yeah. reminded me of how soft his hands are, how elusive he is on the catch. There's a strong hope and desire from my standpoint to see the screen game that was so lethal in 17 and 18 come back to this Rams offense I'm because yeah. we, we only saw I think a sliver of the offensive pie because they ran fewer than 50 offensive snaps yes I, uh, I think Henderson and maybe Sony but to a lesser extent catching passes is coming I've, I felt bad the only reason I felt bad is because I know the guy I felt bad for Robert Quinn I mean, it wasn't just pin your ears back and go after the quarterback. It was you have to be smart because mm. this could be a bluff screen behind you. And if you don't play this right, you've exposed the defense. Same thing for Khalil Mack. Uh, watching him walk off like I'm frustrated was new. That was like watching DK Metcalf have to be taken off the field because Jalen Ramsey was just you know in his pie hole for a while. But, I mean, the same with the, the ends for the Bears. They were frustrated. Uh, even when they thought they had a good rush, no, screen. Okay, now I'm playing screen. Now he's he dropped back to seven. There's no pressure. So that is a nightmare scenario for defenders. Speaking of playing screen, okay, so we highlighted the offensive line as maybe a group, a couple of individuals who, apart from Stafford, really shined in the opener. I don't think we can leave this first segment of Rams All-Access without saying Jalen Ramsey shined on opening night. Okay. And, and in a different way. Than, no. than a shutdown corner is typically thought of. This is why, and I don't want to be that guy, but I have to since you brought it up. I need to know the criteria for Defensive Player of the Week, or for Player of the Week, period. Is it the most wild plays, shocking plays, the guy with the most numbers? Chandler Jones, five sacks, four tackles for loss. Hard to say that guy wasn't the best player yeah, that's, playing that's, that week. That's low-hanging fruit. Yes, but go back and watch the video. Unreal. You give me a guy that played better defense than Jalen Ramsey on game day. I'm I'm so with you. And he did yes. it within five yards of the line of scrimmage. Yes. I mean, everything he made, he made the plays that he should make. He he was a playmaker, and he was violent. Guys went backwards when he made contact. To me, it wasn't sexy, but that was the best defensive performance of the week. Yeah, and you have a less than complete Bears offense against you, and so you are dictating terms to them where they have to – condense their route tree they have to play quick game but you also have a corner who can influence that type of offense and that type of result and as you prepare to face Carson Wentz 
it reminds me a little bit of where the Eagles were in week two last year. Remember, I think yeah. they took like eight sacks in their opening game against Washington, and they saw Aaron Donald come in and they said, we are not going to let that happen again. <laughs> right, pack it in. <laughs> well, Jalen Ramsey is no fool. He, he knew what the Bears were capable of and what they were not capable of, and he came to play accordingly. I you're thought that not, was awesome. You're not going to take me away in this game. Yeah. On the other side, Shane Waldron and Russell Wilson had great success against Indy. Does that give the Colts a head start on preparing for McVay and Stafford, or does it give Sean McVay a bunch of film on how the Colts try to play his scheme? We'll start segment number two of Rams All Access with that question next on 710 ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Rams All Access to Marco Farr and JB Long. Okay, we know this about Sean McVay. He will exploit a tendency. If you put something on film that he can predict, he will put it behind your back and twist your arm over and over and over again. <laughs> right. So I, it's not lost on me that Russell Wilson and the Seahawks are now playing a Sean McVay-inspired offense. We're only one game into that sample size, but it looked dramatically different seeing Russell Wilson do some of the things that we've become accustomed to seeing Jared Goff do over the years uh, in a win over the Colts. So my question to you, DeMarco, is who gets the benefit of that week one film? Is it Sean McVay seeing how the Colts are trying to play his favorite actions, or is it the Colts with a good defense that underperformed who now get to play a Shanahan-McVay-inspired scheme in consecutive weeks. I think McVay would have the advantage seeing the Colts' defense, how they played Seattle, how they tried to defense uh, the Seattle Seahawks. I thought Seattle just beat them up. I really did. Uh, Chicago's defense, big, strong, not a lot of cross-your-face stuff. Indy's the exact opposite. Smaller, lighter guys. Buckner's to about 280, 279. He's tall, he's long. It's a, it's a different style of defense, so... This will be faster, but misdirection hurts them more than the Bears. The Bears just don't move. Even if you give them misdirection, they're going to stay right where they are. Akeem Hicks isn't going anywhere. But this defense is built on run, read, and react. So there's some some eye violations you can create immediately versus this defense. But they're going to have some keys. Uh, This is the big telltale with the offense, like Sean McVay's and the Rams is, it, it goes man-to-man. Eventually, Rob Havenstein or uh, Brian Allen or somebody along the offense will start giving away plays. You know what I mean? By how they set and, and the, the splits they give. They'll start to have some plays and some, some keys on what they're trying to do. But Sean McVay is looking for two things when he runs a play. Who made the tackle and how can I exploit it the next time? So even if you have him early, he's still creating, he's still taking data from you to hurt you mm. later on. He's going to make you pay for your rules. But there's almost a sense that like because it's so fresh in their minds how they played this look, this design last week, that McVay can spin it on its head and do something different, more explosive See, off that, of that. That's what I'm hoping for, and this is what the usual reaction is when you're facing an offense like this. You over-prepare. So it looks like a an outside zone look, and you're thinking it might be something else, but no, it's still the same outside zone. <laughs> you I know think what it, I mean? <laughs> it was uh, it was the uh, 2017 at Minnesota to 2018 home to Minnesota yeah. effect, wasn't it? Right, yes. like 
that was one of the more frustrating afternoons of football of the Sean McVay tenure, that, that loss at Minneapolis his first year. And then you get him back on a short week at your place on Thursday Night Football the following year. Yeah. And he had him coming and going. Well, uh, okay, so that game, it was great. I thought that was the best Jared Goff game? It was a perfect game. It was perfect out of Jared Goff. But I'm still like, what did you think was going to happen with when you have Anthony Barr covering Cooper Cup? What did you think was going to happen? Did you think he can really keep up with that guy? Well, it's poignant because <laughs> coverage busts were an issue yeah. against Seattle last week, whether it was Tyler Lockett, where, whether it yeah. was Gerald Everett. I mean, there were linebackers in coverage blowing assignments. There were safeties. There were corners. So I think that's a real concern in addition to the offensive line, which is banged up and maybe not performing to their compensation. And that takes me to, I think, the matchup of the week, maybe the season. Aaron Donald was holding out before the Colts came to town in 2017. So mm-hmm. as they crossed the T's and dotted the I's on his extension, they didn't use him against the Colts in that first McVay win. So Indianapolis is the only NFL franchise he's yet to play. And as they line up four years later, now he gets Quentin Nelson, who is, I think, the best guard going at least based on his accolades and his performance. My question to you is, as a former defensive tackle yourself, how much will we see that knowing how much Aaron moves around? Well, yeah, they feel the same way or almost the same way as uh, as about Quentin Nelson as they do about Aaron Donald. They figure Aaron can beat anybody one-on-one. They figure he can stop anyone right. one-on-one. That's a part of their offense. It's built into their system. So you're going to see that a few times. In key situations, it's going to be that guy versus Aaron, and let's see who holds up. But I don't think Aaron needs a guy like Quentin Nelson to get jacked up for games. Oh, no, no. It doesn't matter, but, I mean, he is. It's a name, and people are talking about it, so that's going to raise his intensity a little bit. And what I saw at the end of that game, when he finally got the sack, he was happy, but more relieved, and it was like... When you see the Hulk change, it was like the last human form. He was about to explode. He was so frustrated. So I'm glad he's coming into this game thinking he didn't play well. Yeah. Which is great for us because he did. He played great football, but to him, it wasn't his normal dominant self. Do you remember that quick rip where it was like three plays? I'm not sure if they were in a row or roughly in succession where he he missed a run stop and then he missed two potential sacks one of them ended up in the arms of justin holland so it worked out okay for the rams but we'll watch the rest of aaron donald's career and never see him miss three opportunities in a drive like that i i hope not but that that's what i'm talking about i mean missing the sack yeah it's good for us it's good for rams fans because the quarterback went down but for aaron that's a missed sack you're talking legacy that's history you only get so many of these so you want to bring those down that was frustrating that could have been a three sack day for him Came out with one. Yeah, and it leaves him one shy of, of tying the modern, and I emphasize modern, franchise Rams record for sacks. Let's say he gets it this week or the following week. Like, How should we treat that, knowing that the fearsome foursome came before you know, that I, sack record that Deacon yeah. Jones and Jack Youngblood have? I think you have. should go crazy over it. I do. Really? I, I do. I think you should go nuts over it because the guy that he's about to tie or equal or beat was a left end. Kevin Green was an outside linebacker. This is an interior defensive lineman that's about to be your sack leader. Right. Look throughout history of the NFL. There aren't that many guys at that position that lead their team in sacks. Mm. Usually they're outside guys. This is special. I'll say why it's special. Because you'll never see it again. You'll never see another interior guy have this sort of run and have this sort of production ever in a Rams uniform. health willing, get to 100 career sacks. You'll never see it. So enjoy it while it's here. Amazing. All right. 
Uh, let's finish this segment with a question about the running game because I know it's top of mind for Sean McVay offensively and defensively this week. I wonder, do you have more questions, doubts, concerns about the Rams establishing theirs or their ability to stop the run, given what you saw against Chicago, as they prepare to face Jonathan Taylor, um, Darius Leonard, and the Colts? Oh, you mean next or now? Right now? Going into this game. Okay. Are you more concerned about the Rams having an efficient running game against a good Colts defense? Well, or being able to stop Jonathan Taylor and the Colts rushing attack? Okay, I, I was more impressed with the Rams running the football. It, it's a small sample size because you only had 50 plays. Right, so and, don't look at the box score, look at the film. Yes, and, and, and the score dictates the game plan and how Chicago was attacking. So, But I was impressed with the run game. When they needed it, it mm-hmm. was there. Like I said, Daryl Henderson finished with 70 rushing yards, got 49 on one drive. They did what they wanted. Uh, against the Bears running the football. Now, if that extended out that same sort of production to once a quarter, I mean, you're talking he may be the the offensive player of the week, but I, I'm, I was impressed with the way the Rams ran the football. I am concerned with the run game on defense. Fits or tackling or both? Both. Um, what they're being asked to do, uh, it's a little bit new. Two gapping with Aaron Donald is interesting. I get it. You get an extra guy to the ball. So you think it's more than gap and a half? You think it's... Two gaps. Oh, it's two gaps. I mean, when you line up head up on a guard or any offensive lineman, that means I've got his left shoulder and his right shoulder. So, depending on where the ball goes, is where I need to be. So, it's a tough ask, but I think you can do it. But I'm concerned for the run game because Chicago hit you a few times, and Indy, I think, is going to come back to the run game. So, I'm a little concerned there. Well, Sean McVay is now 5-0 and in opening games, so I don't think he's going to change his plan about how to treat the NFL preseason anytime soon ever (laughs) but if there is one thing that he might attribute to not going live in the preseason it's tackling and here's what he said this week about that very point that's something that we want to be able to do a better job with you know and uh taking guys down on first contact like i said kurt i thought you know chicago did a nice job you got to give them credit uh but but our standards in the in the way that our guys expect to play um we know that's going to be a focal point a point of emphasis and Mm -hmm. i expect to see improvement in that area from our guys I was always taught, man, it, it, it's, it stands true even with preseason. Or e- even when you go into preseason, you always miss your first tackle attempt because it's live. I mean, there was one with, uh, was it Darius Williams? Uh, on the big run where he ran in and in practice, that's a tag off. That means you did it right in practice. But no, this is a game. This guy is running for the end zone. You have to put your nose in there and bring him down. So once you wake up to it, then you start getting better. But it's just hard to learn to tackle when you don't do it, when, you, when you're taught not to, all through training camp. Ramsey didn't seem to have a problem. No, that's a different <laughs> dude, though, man. You know, I think he may be like practicing tackling away from the building. He's so good at it. You know who we haven't talked about in too long? Taylor Rapp. Yeah, a good game, tackling. Uh, but When he arrives at the football, the ball carrier typically goes down. I was thinking of this on the way in. Uh, I thought Fuller and, and Taylor Rapp did great in their submarine missile drills. Prepare for the deep ball. Be surprised by the short one. Don't be surprised by the long one, but Chicago didn't challenge you. That's going to change at some point. They're going to be challenging vertical. You're going to have to get back and then come up and play the run. I don't know if it's going to happen this week. It could. Yeah. I know for sure it's going to happen next week. Uh, Exactly. Exactamundo. It's going to happen at some point, like I said, when the defense gets stretched 
then I think some of those issues I'm talking about in the run game will be more pronounced. But against Chicago, it's all compacted. That's what they want. So it was an easier game for the safeties to play. Still to come on this edition of Rams All Access, as Los Angeles prepares to go to Indianapolis, it's the latest from our playoff eliminator contest. DeMarco, did you like it week one? I, I'm trying to get – I think I got it. You think you got it now? I picked the Jets. I'm happy. And they started 0-1. Yes. Okay. So I can stay with them or I can move to something No, they're else. yours for the whole season. For the whole year. Okay, yeah. good. So I have so, to pick another. Okay, Are you, do you come to the uh, studio with another team in mind for this week? Or oh, you... yeah, absolutely. We've been talking about the guy all week, so I'll pick his team, too. All right. Well, I went with Detroit. They lost to San Francisco. They have to go to Green Bay this week for Monday Night Football, so I'm feeling pretty good about okay. that selection. We'll see if DeMarco adds to his playoff eliminator portfolio. We'll also go around the NFC West, where each and every team won in the quarterback's were sensational but coming up next it's four down territory our weekly trip inside opponents territory jj stankovitz covers the colts and he will have the latest on their attempt to get their offensive line intact and shore up some of their defensive leaks against russell wilson and the seahawks you're listening to a week two edition of rams all access on 710 espn i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to Rams All Access. Time for a segment we call Four Down Territory, our weekly trip inside opponent's territory. We'll talk Colts with J.J. Stankovitz, who lives in Indianapolis now after doing a great job covering the Bears for so many years. J.J., welcome back to the program. First, before we get to this matchup, what's the biggest difference between covering the Bears and the Colts? <laughs> well, uh, I would say uh, Colts fans are, are maybe a little uh, happier as a fan base. Um, than Bears fans from, from my experience covering them too. But hey, JB, you mentioned I covered the Bears. You didn't mention that I covered Notre Dame. And back in a, a former life, you and I did a podcast together about Notre Dame. That's right. That was the inflection point in both of our careers. I, I'm firmly <laughs> believing that. And that will be the story we tell forevermore. All right, let's get to this week two matchup. And uh, speaking of the Colts fan base, question number one is what's their level of concern given the prospect of starting 0-2 at home, knowing there are three challenging road trips coming up next, J.J. Yeah, certainly, J.B., there is a, a bit of worry here. There's certainly a sense of urgency from coaches and players we have talked to here in Indianapolis about making sure that the Colts don't start 0-2. Again, not only because the, you mentioned those three road games coming up, but the first one's against Tennessee, a division opponent who you know a lot of prognosticators think the Colts will be competing with for the AFC South crown, which is something that the Colts haven't won in a couple of years and something that Coach Frank Reich definitely has at the top of his mind to go out and win this year. But as it relates to this team, you know, certainly the, the Seahawks, they, they played a great game on Sunday. The Colts came out and, and didn't play the way they would have liked to play in that 28-16 to loss. There are some things that needed to be cleaned up, but one thing that I took away from it, JB, after going back and watching it and just, the, the Seahawks played really well, and sometimes you need to give credit to your opponent. Now, that, that might not be super comforting for Colts fans, given everyone saw how well the Rams played on Sunday Night Football. But there, there were things that the Seahawks did that I think the Colts can find a way around 
in week two. And one of those big things, JB, is going to be generating more explosive plays, which is obviously something the Rams are very good at preventing. The Colts said one aspect here is that Frank Reich said the Colts need to break off more explosive plays on screens. That means getting the ball into the hands of Nike Hines and Jonathan Taylor and then turning a 9-10 yard gain into a 20-30 yard gain. That is going to be a focus. Well, that's interesting because there were a few breakdowns, of course, in the opening loss to Seattle, and I think first among them reading your clippings and those in Indianapolis was that the offensive line may not have played to their expectation or their compensation. So to get to the right place, to get that screen game going, that seems to put a lot of onus on the offensive tackles in particular. Will either or both be ready for this week's contest? Yeah, JB, that's kind of that's the, probably the biggest question around this team right now because Braden Smith uh, is out. He missed practice on Wednesday with a foot injury. Currently, Colts practice is going on right now as we tape on Thursday. Do not know what his status will be for the game on Sunday. And then Eric Fisher, uh, who you know we all know from his time in Kansas City, is working his way back from a ruptured Achilles. He suffered in the AFC Championship. He has been limited in practice. He was limited all three days last week. Coach Frank Reich said he just wasn't, it, there wasn't enough time to get him ready to go. But we had a chance to hear from Eric Fisher on Wednesday here at, in Indianapolis. And, and he seemed to indicate he's feeling pretty good. And it, the, judging on what he said, there might be a, you know, some reasons to be encouraged that Eric Fisher could make his season debut on Sunday. Again, we'll see what his practice designation is the next two days and then what his game status is, but if the, if the Colts can get Eric Fisher back, that means you'll kick Julian Davenport out to the right side of the offensive line. He played on the left side against the Seahawks, had some issues, uh, gave up two sacks on the left. He's played both sides. He's kind of that swing tackle, that typical guy uh, who teams like having on their bench. Maybe he, he'll be a little better suited on the right side if that's where he goes if Brayden Smith is not able to play on Sunday. J.J. Stankovitz is in-house for the Colts, does a great job on all their platforms uh, representing that team, and we preview this Week 2 contest with him on four-down territory here on Rams All-Access. Question number three, what grade would you give Carson Wentz for his debut? I think maybe a B. Um, I I think there are some things, certainly, that Carson could have cleaned up. Uh, you know, specifically, there's a pass. Uh, he, he there's a third down, and he took a shot downfield to tight end Mo Alley Cox didn't connect. That's a throw maybe he would have wanted to have back and got completed. And, and there are some things that you know, Coach Frank Reich and offensive coordinator Marcus Brady said Wentz needed to clean up pre-snap. But the, the Colts came away liking what Wentz did when, once the ball got in his hands. Um, you know, he made good decisions. He was accurate with his throws. And and the thing with Seattle is that they played a you know kind of that too high shell where they were just trying to take you know put a roof on this this offense which is what certainly the rams are going to do now the rams rotate their safeties a lot more than the seahawks the seahawks are a little more straightforward but both game plans are essentially the same in that neither defense is going to let you take a shot downfield so with that in mind you know the colts felt like carson wentz made good decisions not trying to force anything and that wound up playing out the way they would have liked Certainly, that you know, there are always things that you can get better at. But in in the case of Week One, yeah, I think probably about a B. Carson Wentz was no, you know, he might not have been the great quarterback we saw in 2018 or 2017, excuse me, but he was good enough to win with. Uh, you know, he, he was certainly not the problem. Last question on four down territory for JJ Stankovitz is: This was a top ten defense last season, and it returns mostly intact, mostly healthy, and they add a first rounder in Quiddy Pay. 
But they were torched by Russell Wilson, and I like what you said about the fact that Wilson and the Seahawks played well. What's your level of confidence in a bounce-back performance for this NDD against Stanford and the Rams? Yeah, pretty confident. You know, this is a group that's very well coached. They've been with Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator here, for four years now. Um, you know, you have a lot of guys who have been in this system for quite a bit of time, and there's a lot of talent here. Uh, you know, we'll see what Xavier Rhodes' status is for the game on Sunday. He missed last week with a calf injury. Um, you know, he's a guy who the Colts certainly would like to have against this high-powered Rams offense. But, you know, other guys, the, the defensive line, you know, I'm sure you and your listeners, listeners know just how good DeForest Buckner is, and he continues to play at a very high level here in Indianapolis on the back end. Um, you know, Julian Blackman and Kari Willis, the, you know, Seattle was able to hit that deep shot to Tyler Lockett on Sunday, but that is a good safety pairing that the Colts have here. Um, a lot of reasons for optimism for this defense to be able to bounce back. They're just going to have to make sure that they have good eyes, are not fooled by the Rams, you know, kind of eye candy and all the jet motion and things that they do and just stick to their assignment and then tackle well. Those are going to be the keys for the Colts' defense. JJ, we missed you last week. It didn't feel right talking Bears without you, but I'm glad that the schedule shaped up such that we catch you on the flip side. Worked out great, but unfortunately now I guess we're going to have to go four years between talking unless, hey, Colts ran Super Bowl in L.A. Maybe I'll be there. <laughs> there you go. I still haven't figured out this 17th game format. Maybe there's something in the cards for us there with the, uh, the AFC-NFC crossover. JJ, best to you and your family. Looking forward to seeing you this weekend at Lucas Oil. Right back at you, J.B. Thanks for having me on. All right, J.J. Stankovitz from the Colts with this week's edition of Four Down Territory. When we come back on Rams All Access, DeMarco Farr rejoins us for the latest installment of our Playoff Eliminator game. It's Rams and Colts Week 2 in Indy, and this is Rams All Access on 710 ESPN. We're only two weeks into this, so a reminder of our rules for the Playoff Eliminator Contest. It's a two-man game. DeMarco Farr, JB Long with you on Rams All Access. Each week, we have a chance to draft a team or teams, essentially to eliminate them from playoff contention. If you eliminate a team, remember, they're yours for the whole season. So DeMarco already has the Jets. I have the Lions. If they miss the playoffs, that counts as one point toward our total. But here's the catch. If a team we draft ends up making the postseason, we automatically flame out. So the name of the game is to cross out as many teams as you can without going over. I like it. That's like the price is right (laughs) expression, right? That cliffhanger game without going over. Uh, Okay, so I have a couple under consideration for this week. I'm not sure if I am going to make a pick this week. You, You don't have to. If you're uncertain about where things stand. DeMarco. You're like Sean McVay and deferring. Make yeah, a pick, it's, it's, man. Well, okay. So Take the ball. <laughs> here's a quick review, though. The Detroit, my pick, lost at San Francisco. They're 0-1. They're going to Green Bay this week for Monday Night Football. The Packers licking their wounds after an embarrassing opening loss to New Orleans. So it doesn't look good for Detroit. As for the Jets, they lost at Carolina. Impressive first performance for the Panthers. They host the Patriots in Week 2. Done. Okay. So, I made the most recent pick, I guess, because I, I went second. Right. So, it's back to you. Okay. Back to you in case you want to add to your portfolio. Okay. I think this team is going to finish the year with an interim head coach. I really do. But for a crazy reason, it's going to be fun. Hold on to your seat for this one. Wait, let me guess. 
Jacksonville? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Does it have something to do with the other coaching news oh, within yes. a very short radius yes. of where we're sitting? Okay. Uh, by way of some sort of health ailment, and then he'll and Lazarus will appear you here. You don't really believe that, do you? I'm just saying. Meyer? I'm just saying. Uh, and about USC? I, I think Jacksonville is going to have a, they have a tough road to hoe anyway, but uh, they lost week one to Houston. I think that was their best chance to win. Denver, I think, is just finding their stride, and that's next week. So there's issues there. So I'll I'll go ahead and I'll say Jacksonville's on my team. Okay, so you've got the Jets and you've got Jacksonville. Jacksonville would have been the team I was willing to pick this week. I'm tempted to answer with Atlanta. Ooh. But there's still way too much firepower and they're still too new with a coaching change for me to feel confident in that. So unless you object to this, I'm going to pass on this week and come back next week with the first pick of week three. Sounds good. Is that fair? That's fair. That's your strategy. Okay. Yeah, you can do it. Uh, let me see. What did Matt Ryan do? He was okay. Matt Ryan's always going to be okay. That, and so I'm just not ready to pick against him yeah. and his weapons. I feel yet, you. Until all. he leaves I don't want to overreact to week one. I think that's going to speak to his greatness when he retires, when Atlanta's not very good, but he was still okay when they were bad. Yeah. yeah. Well, and what do you do with his Hall of Fame case? Because he's going to put up, Hall of Fame numbers already has, but was he ever one of the best within a season I'd pull in a his John, generation? I'd pull a John Gruden, like you know, and blame Mayock. Uh, you, how, what was the score in the Super Bowl? What was that score? Seven. They were up big. Seven twenty-four. And Dan Quinn let it slip yeah. <laughs> there. <laughs> Let's go around the division. The NFC West goes four and zero, but it's not just that. I mean, look at how the quarterbacks played. I, I think the strength of this division. There are other strengths, but it's the coaching the play calling and the quarterback combinations, right? And of all the quarterbacks, and I lump Trey Lance into this, they combine for 14 touchdowns, just one interception, and only 25 incompletions wow. in the first week of play. The lowest rating, the lowest rating, the floor for the quarterbacks was 121. Wow, wow. <laughs> so Who was the low man, Garoppolo? Uh, I Garoppolo think... was 124-2. Who was the low man? I think it was Kyler or okay. Russell Wilson. <laughs> I know it wasn't Stafford. I know it wasn't Stafford because he had a career high both in terms of yards per attempt and quarterback rating oh, in his Rams debut. A one twenty one. Which, which Rams man. rival though had the most impressive road win to you? Ooh, okay. Uh, well, I want to say San Fran. They scored forty one points. That's impressive. But and their defense let Detroit back in. Scored thirty three. But I'll say this: Jared Goff played good football, except for the one pick six. But. Everything else looked yeah. pretty good, but San Francisco for, scoring 41 points, uh, that should scare you. But, um, you know, I wonder, and look, I, I hate to sound like a hater to Chandler Jones, but I think half of his five sacks, or two or three of them, were more Titans error than him making plays. So I'm not sure if they're as good as that 38 points or as good as the 13 they allowed. So, but I'm Give them their props. The one that scares me is Seattle. Let's just get to it. Seattle, Russell Wilson with this offense, if he continues to master it, oh, goodness gracious. You go from tough guy ball in Pete Carroll to a more of a McVay era with Russell Wilson, oh, goodness gracious. Yeah, that's scary. I mean, for all that was made this offseason about his offensive line, his comments toward his offensive line, we know what Sean McVay constructs is a system – a structure that makes playing quarterback the hardest thing to do in sports as easy as you can. Right. And then the second priority 
is taking pressure off the offensive line because they also have a chore in defending just freakish pass rushers, interior and exterior in the modern game. So it's not necessarily a matter of personnel that Russell Wilson needed to solve. I would argue he's more responsible for his own protection and his own pressures and hits than the offensive line. But there's another way to solve that problem, and it's to do what McVay does for his quarterbacks and for his offensive lines. And to back up to fortify your point, I agree 100% about what you're saying. Look out if that's the end game. Oh, boy. I know. You can see it. It's at the embryo stage, and... When they start to hit on all cylinders, just like any McVay offense, when they start to roll, you're in trouble. So there is a, a an old adage about steamrollers. When you face a steamroller, mm-hmm. you better get it before it gets started, b- before it starts to roll, yep. or it will roll over you. I feel the same way about Seattle in this offense. I will say, though, Seattle was that steamroller coming to SoFi Stadium last year Yeah, with Russell Wilson, an MVP candidate at the midway point, and the Rams were able to lean into that. At, at full steam and stop it it was never the same but that was russell cooking this is no, within I'm, I'm a, this is you. him I'm working with within an offense I'm oh boy you. yeah <laughs> let's get to week two san francisco is at an, a very impressive jalen hurts in philadelphia that was a great week one for them better than i think anyone would have hoped for arizona hosts 0-1 minnesota seattle welcomes 0-1 tennessee so you've got this interesting juxtaposition where you've got an eagles team that was a pleasant surprise San Francisco goes back-to-back on the road. And then you've got, I think, desperate Vikings and Titans teams going the other way. There's no way the Titans are that bad. I think what Vrabel said about Julio Jones and the penalty he took. I mean, this is how you really tax your entire football team. One guy. Um, It went from what should have been a third and one to a third and 17. That affects everyone, everyone's numbers, because of Julio Jones and getting that personal foul. So they just didn't play well, and it's all on tape. So I would expect the best Tennessee squad you can see, you'll see this week. So we'll see, but yeah, it'll be a bounce back. But um, Because 0-2 yeah. for, I think, a, in that division, a, a classy pick to be an AFC yeah. champion would be... Uh, maybe it's not insurmountable because of the division they play in, but it would certainly not be where anyone had the Titans beginning. No doubt. No doubt. But uh, just they played bad football all around. They deserve to get their butts kicked. I don't think that's really them. If it is, I'd be surprised, but I don't think that's really Tennessee. Here's an interesting thought on the Arizona-Minnesota one. I think this is helpful either way, and here's what I mean. Obviously, you want your division opponents to take an L. Like right. that, that doesn't change. So if it's that result, great. But if Arizona starts 2-0, that means Minnesota is 0-2. And I think there is an increasingly good chance that the NFC North is a one-team division. Green Bay? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't have any major concerns despite the egg that they laid that Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur and Green Bay are going to figure it out and win that division. But if Minnesota starts 0-2, Chicago... I could see them finishing on the playoff bubble and certainly outside of it. And Detroit, I've already eliminated from playoff contention. So all that to say that Arizona can free up some space on the playoff bubble by sending the Vikings to 0-2. That would be great. Um, Easier said than done. Let's see if you can do it again. I I told you guys earlier uh, during the other other podcast, Watt still has juice. Chandler Jones is still a problem. So if they can create pressure from that defense at will – Plus Kyler Murray, that's a tough out schematically. Mm. Anybody playing Arizona, that is a tough out. 
Ready to pack your bags and head to Indy? Let's go, baby. I'm already there. I left yesterday. (laughs) The Rams start with three of their first four games at home. This is their only road trip in that stretch. Aaron Donald faces the Colts for the first time. Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford look to start another season 2-0. For DeMarco Farr, I'm JB Long. This has been a Week 2 edition of Rams All Access on 710 ESPN.